We've been talking a lot on this podcast about the greatest football player of all time, Lionel Messi, and his epic stateside move. Now you can join Messi as he embarks on his historic next chapter with Apple TV Plus's new documentary series, Messi Meets America. Follow along Messi's journey as he takes North America and Major League Soccer by storm, ushering in a new era with his inner Miami teammates. This series is streaming now only on Apple TV+. I think an Eastern Conference team will win the whole thing. And that's going to come from Cincinnati or Philadelphia. And I say that because they can win in any style. They can win against any style. They can not play well and win. They can play well and win by lots of goals. They can be dominated with possession and win by three goals. And that's why I, w- I never, ever, ever back against a Philadelphia team. I just think this one could be over in two games. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Offside with me, Taylor Twelman. It is a busy, busy time of the year in American sports. Last weekend, we had Major League Soccer, Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, and the NHL all in action on the same day. They called it the, quote, sports equinox. And I hope you chose MLS because my word, round one, the TIFOs, the noise, the crowds, the goals on goals on goals, round one of the best of three series is back again this weekend. We start Saturday night, starting with FC Cincinnati, the Supporters Shield winners who could knock out the Red Bulls with an away win, and the Seattle Sounders, who head south with the same opportunity in Dallas. We move on to Sunday, the one to watch, a rivalry match, number eight seeded Sporting Kansas City hosting St. Louis City with a chance to upset the number one seed. Then over to Vancouver, the Whitecaps backs there against the wall, fighting to stay alive against LAFC. Now, Monday night, Real Salt Lake are trying to bounce back from a away loss against the Houston Dynamo. Now, remember, I had Houston Dynamo as my dark horses last week, but RSL almost hung in there long enough to take it to penalties. I think they'll be dangerous at home. Two matches on Tuesday, Orlando City go to Nashville, and then Atlanta United hosting the Columbus Crew. And finally, Wednesday night, the Union target a sweep of the Revs in Foxborough. You can catch it all only on MLS Season Pass on Apple TV. You can even tune into the Spanish commentary if you don't want to listen to yours truly. Now, here we are. We're recording before the first game in the Columbus-Atlanta series, but round one, it's given us a full plate and then some. So here to help us talk through it all and look ahead to the do-or-die matches coming up, making his second offside appearance. That was my drum roll. Mr. Phil Neville. Phil, it's been a while, buddy. You and I uh, had caught up right when the messy stuff started to happen. What have you been up to, my man? Are you in Denver, Chicago, New York, Portland? Where are you right now? East Day, You're in I'm, Miami. East Day, I'm come outside a new club just begging for a job. <laughs> no, I've, look, I've obviously been doing some work with you guys at Apple. I've been watching... Uh, you know, I've been in the Eastern Conference, so I've watched a lot of Western Conference games. And what you realize is, is, you, is you don't probably mm-hmm. have the knowledge of the other conference like you do of your own conference. So I've been I've been obsessed with watching the games. The games have been fantastic, working obviously with you guys, doing some cold comps, uh, just catching up on uh, a few mundane things at home, spending time with my family, dropping my daughter off at university, which was the worst day of my life, uh, but the best, if you know what I mean. And uh, yep. now itching to get back in there. Well, let, we'll get into the playoffs in a moment, but recently Messi was ju- just won his eighth Ballon d'Or. Mm. It, 
I think for all of us that have grown up in this league, lived in this country, played for the U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team, it's a little surreal to see that ceremony and to see Jorge Mas, Don Garber, David Beckham. It's kind of a remarkable scene, isn't it? Do you know what? I've, I've used the last three months traveling around America, seeing cities, watching my son play for Loud and, and just seeing him. And the amount of messy shirts that I've seen mm. has been incredible. You know, you think to yourself, I needed to get away from into Miami. And every plane that I went on, there was a messy shirt. Every Pittsburgh, Indiana, DC, everywhere you go, there's messy shirts. And, and just seeing, you know, the owners that I work for at the Ballon d'Or uh, in the front row, yep. presenting the greatest player in the world. And do you know what the most surreal thing for me was, is that the next day, my son comes home from training. Harvey was in it into Miami, and he said, "Oh yeah, uh, Messi came into training. We did a, t- a tunnel for him, which is synonymous. You know, we celebrated with him." And I was like, "Son, do you know how lucky you are to be mm-hmm. in- involved in this type of era in-, in the MLS?" And just to to you know, he watched it in the afternoon, and then the next day, the greatest player that's ever lived turned up to training, and and I just thought it was like. We don't know how lucky we are. We don't, you know, I'm, I'm saying every football fan that has just witnessed the last 10, 15 years of the Ronaldo-Messi trilogy, is it's just been so fortunate. And, and you probably had the best seat in the house. You was commentating yes. on all the games. And, and you think to yourself, next season's going to be even bigger. I, I do feel next season will be even bigger because I feel as if next season... The clubs coming up against into Miami yes. will probably have the motivation that Charlotte did in that last game, yes. and, and it'll be even harder, and we'll see even more greatness because what you see with the great players is that they just keep going up another level because they, he now knows the league, he now knows what's expected, he now knows what's going to come in front of him. The first month, I thought it was almost like you know everyone was just bowing to him in a way and allowing him, and then the, after that, everyone thought, well, you know, let's let's make this real. They're going to get the bit between the teeth. They're yeah. going to want to try to upright him. They're going to want to try to show him up. I just think it's remarkable for a 36-year-old to win his eighth Ballon d'Or and the next day show up at a training when they're out of the playoffs. He could have taken a day off. He could have taken <laughs> yeah. a pro day, and and everyone would have said, fair enough. He's there. He's showing up. He's still participating. Real sh- uh, a real good sign of leadership for me and his lo- level of commitment, which yeah. you and I could probably have a conversation about number of athletes that wouldn't have shown up that day. Phil, before we get into the playoffs, I want your perspective because you've coached in the playoffs. You've done this. The new format, I find it interesting. I think there's a debate to be had on the pros and cons of what it is. But I, I just want your perspective. How does a three-game series where you have to win and aggregate doesn't matter. Do you think that changes a manager's approach to, to this? Yeah, I think it does. Uh, you I know, do when, I, when, I, when I saw the format when, when I was manager into Miami, I, I, the first thing I thought was is that because, you know, I, I experienced the NYC game when we got knocked out and that was my first playoff experience. And I thought, wow, that, that is top-level football, top-level atmosphere, that it was that cup feeling where it was do or die. And I thought, wow, there's more matches. That means there's more opportunities to sample games like that. Uh, so I was really excited about it. From a fan's point of view, and, I, and I'm obviously a fan now watching and, and a supporter, is that 
how in the first couple of games, it felt a little bit weird watching it because teams weren't, it was a little bit more cautious, a little bit more like a chess game. It was a little bit more, you know, I saw New England sub a lot of players off thinking, well, we'll save them for the next game. It wasn't the do or die that you saw in the playoffs in the past. What I would say is in game two, I think there will be that do or die. I think Agreed. game two will be better than game one. So uh, I think what we've seen in the first bouch of, of games is probably a little bit more cautious, a little bit more strategy behind the home team, the away team philosophy. And I also think, Phil, naturally, you know this way better than me, but managers, the, the level of uncertainty because they haven't experienced it yet, mm. they also don't know how to manage it. I'd argue that the New England Revolution and the other teams that were down early they should have thrown caution to the wind because aggregate doesn't matter. So what's the difference between losing 3-1 or 5-3? They should have gone for it. And that's where I want to start because the biggest surprise of the first round unequivocally is mm. St. Louis City at home losing 4-1 to Sporting Kansas City. It is amazing to me how quick and reactions are on point from Gotti Kinda. Oh, what a goal! What a half from Sporting KC! They've turned it completely around. A team that conceded four in each of their previous two trips to City Park in the regular season have now put four on St. Louis in round one of the playoffs. Form is not fallacy when it comes into Major League Soccer and a league built on parity. You know this better than anyone with what you did with that team in Inter-Miami and how you got Iguain going, Pozuelo going, and you went into the playoffs. Sporting Kansas City had won six of the last nine going into the playoffs. St. Louis City had lost, had only won two of eight. Yeah. Were you surprised at all the result or just more so how anemic St. Louis City looked from the onset? Do you know what? I wasn't surprised. I, I, I think Sporting Kansas City have got a real chance of going far in the competition. Why? Because... They're the team that's going into the playoffs with momentum. And when I looked at St. Louis, uh, I, I thought since the League's Cup, I felt as if they just dipped to the energy, yep. you know, and they've picked up the results. They finished top of the Western Conference. Brilliant, incredible season. But I just felt as if, you know, that energy, that excitement has just probably got took them so far. And, and, I, and I looked at Sporting Kansas City and I thought, they're playing really well. You know, in, in, in the game against San Jose, I thought they looked in control. They looked like a team full of confidence. They looked like a team that, you know, we're in this for the long haul and they didn't look like they played with any fear. So when they got through the the, the playing game, I thought they're going to cause problems for St. Louis. And the goals they scored were fantastic. And yep. they're the only team that's won away from home. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think they're the only team that's won away no, from home right. in this playoff. So yep. Yep. I think it shows how good that they can be. And I think momentum is a, big thing in the MLS. You start winning one, two, three, four games, it's very difficult to halt that kind of run. And it's it goes the same the other way for St. Louis. I think they'll struggle now to probably gain back the momentum. They look like a deer in headlights. They had never been there. It was a home playoff game. Sporting Kansas City kind of looked around and said, guys, we've been doing this for the last three months. Mm -hmm. In order for us to get the playoffs, we've had to play playoff games. Bradley Carnell in the 17 home games this year 15 of them played a 4-4-2. The opening whistle, he plays one forward. He plays a 4-2-3-1. Peter Vermees, after the game, looked at me and said, from that moment, they knew they had St. Louis City on the ropes. Explain that to me from a manager's perspective. Well, 
it tells you that the kind of mindset probably he felt about his team is that they he needed to try and do something a little bit different to spark something. You know, as a manager, you know, you get a smell, you get a feeling. You do as a player, so that certainly with team has performed miracles. I think everyone sort of like tipped them to finish at the bottom. They finished at the top. They've been the te- without doubt the most outstanding team, but he probably knew he got a feeling probably in training that there was maybe a flatness, there was a lack of energy, there was a spark, there was a fatigue. And when you get to the end of an MLS season, it is a marathon. And, the, and, and I looked at that team and thought, he's trying to just do something different just to probably try and surprise the opposition, but maybe just to try and spark his own team into some kind of form or whatever it does. And, and I never forget the words of Bruce Arena. When, when I first joined the league, he said one thing to me. He said, it's not how you start, it's how you finish that will define your success in this league. And Sporting Kansas City have uh, ending this, the campaign with the, probably the, the, the team that's in form and alongside probably Seattle in that Western Conference. I agree with you completely. Last thought on St. Louis City. Joachim Nielsen has started eight games for St. Louis City. Yeah. They've won one of those games. They've given up 19 goals in those games. I'm not saying Nielsen isn't the type of player that he can be. I'm not saying he's not a better center back than the other center backs around him. My point being, he was out for 13 months with a knee injury. Since he's come back, St. Louis City don't have rhythm. You played as a defender. I think collectively a back line, three, five, four, whatever it may be, it's better to be in sync versus the individual parts to be better than the other ones. I think Bradley Carnell a couple weeks ago should have looked at that and said, hang on a minute, something's off. Am I reading too much into that about Nielsen into that? <laughs> well, probably yes or no. It, it, I mean, one thing I'd say with with defenders is that repetition and consistency is is vital. You know, your relationship between the two centre backs, the full backs, and the goalkeeper, a back five, I think is vital. I think they've 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 been so. I think the way that they play, the two centre-backs are crucial for them because they, they're always probably susceptible for the counter-attack because they go full press. So I think the partnership at the back is vital. Nielsen's a good player. I mean, you could probably think, like, is it him that's letting them down? Is it the fact that the whole team yeah. seems to have hit a little bit of a brick wall in terms of their energy? I can understand why St. Louis and Bradley and Lutz are probably defending their players, which is what you do, and they're probably thinking that he's not probably been at fault for any of them goals or any of them defeats, which is probably fair. But you do think as a back four, you think of the best teams in the MLS, consistency in the back four is by, you look at the Philadelphia back four, you look at the back three of Cincinnati, the same players play every week. Philadelphia never rotates Glesnes and Elliot. Sometimes low goals in, but he goes in next to them too, if you know what I mean. So uh, consistency is vital. And I just think that maybe Nielsen is, in, is unlucky. He's coming into a team that maybe just have gone over that edge of fatigue and 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 the the ability to compete, probably. Yeah, and the other aspect is look at Polito. It took him till May seventh oh. to score his first goal after being out for twelve months. It takes you a long time to be confident and yeah. to be real consistent. I think with understanding what your body is. I'm glad you brought up Cincinnati because I think it was the. Most complete performance. I think you could argue Sporting Kansas City was the biggest mm. surprise, but the most suspected got it. You get exactly what you expect from Cincinnati. 3 0 yeah. versus the New York Red Bulls. Alvaro Barrio goes for goal! And the header back may fall short. There goes Baji. Out comes Coronel. Falls to Lucio Acosta! 
I'd be stunned if the Supporters Shield winners are not in the Eastern Conference Final. Would you agree with me? Yeah, I, I would agree. I've always said this about uh, Pat Noonan's Cincinnati team is that you can be actually feeling as if you're quite comfortable in the game and you're 2-0 down. That's what I felt about the game the other day. I felt as if Red Bulls had started well, they were causing problems and they were 2-0 down. They were 2-0 down because of, of those front three front uh, and Acosta because they just produce moments of magic. You've got solidity of Miazga, Mosquera. The goalkeeper, I think, is very good uh, at Cincinnati. Hageland or Murphy, whoever plays, they hang on in games, they're dogged in games, and then they've got the ability to to produce moments of magic. And you're 3-0 down in the game, and Red Bull's probably thinking, we actually played well in the game, but you're 3-0 down. That's why I think Cincinnati could go on and win the Supporters' Shield. Yeah, it was interesting because Pat Noonan, after the game, said, I'm not surprised, but I will say over the past month, we haven't been our strongest. Two stats in the game that really stood out to me. One, you said it, New York Red Bulls were pretty good. They had 24 crosses in the final third, but only completed two, while FC Cincinnati had a total of eight touches in the New York Red Bulls' 18. There's patience, but there's also a quiet belief and confidence You've got Lucha Acosta. You've got Vasquez. I thought Barrial was fantastic. His first goal is one of the best goals you'll see all year. When you know you don't need that many touches and that many chances, Phil, it's almost the world of the inevitable of saying, we're going to win this game. We just don't know how soon we're going to put that ball in the back of the net. Would you agree? No, I agree. And yep. and Pat Noonan, is the, people probably haven't praised him enough in terms of he's mm-hmm. evolving their style. You know, at the start, they were dogged. They were a little bit direct, I'd say. Mm-hmm. They were they were probably low block, direct, counter-attack. Now you'd say, do you know what? You know, I think for 1 to 11, you would probably want to sign a lot of those 1 to 11s. The, the, the touch, the touch up and the volley from Barriel, if, if, if anybody else scores that, it, it, it's played on. Yes, it's played it on, is. Like, yep. You know, that was so good. And I just feel as if he's evolving their style. Week in, week out, they're becoming more controlled. They're having more possession. They're becoming a team that I think is fantastic. And he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Pat Noonan, for me, we played Cincinnati four or five times. And if you'd have asked me, would I, would I have talked custom? I, I, I no. Would I have talked Barriel? I'd have thought, no, probably. Physically weak, yep. you know, a little bit flaky, a bit vanilla. Now you would say, I would take probably 99% of that team. You think about the work that he's, Acosta, mm-hmm. probably MVP, Barrial, yep. and and Dolbido in midfield. Incredible signing. Miazga, brilliant signing. What he's done with Hagerland, the goalkeeper. But before that, you probably, nobody no. in the league would have took any of them, those players. So that, that's what he's done. He's built a football club and he's built he built it on values like he showed the other night. It's, it's a team first mentality. Yeah, I think Barriel's the best example because you and I both know the conversation around Barriel before Pat Noonan got there was no. Now they've got to make a decision this winter. Do they sell him for five to seven million because he's that Absolutely. kind of player that's yeah. on the radar? A club that has had to deal with transfers in and out every six months, LAFC. Towards the far post. You and I have been texting each other throughout the entire year. It's been interesting conversation 
from Steve Terundolo, John Thornton, the congested schedule, dealing with CONCACAF Champions League, all of that stuff. Yet the LAFC that I saw at home against Vancouver Whitecaps, it looks like they're rested. It looks like their best players ready to keep, take it to another level. I think any other year, Bawanga's the MVP, but Acosta and Cincinnati have done fantastic. And Carlos Vela, the swan song. I don't know if anyone wants to play LAFC in the moment. No, no. I'd say that what's the biggest threat to Cincinnati would be LAFC. From what I saw on that game the other night, they, they look different, you know, and, and they have a... Look, they've had big changes. You think about all the, the signings and, and the changes that they've had and it's took time and there's probably been some younger players coming in. But the LASC I saw the other night looked like a team that was ready to win. Looked like a team that smelt, this is our time now. You know, go back to what Bruce used to say to me, it's how you finish, it's how you attack the playoffs. They look like a team that were ready to blitz. And what they've got, they can score four or five games in any game with yeah. their firepower, with their quality. And that's what makes them probably the... Favorite probably alongside Cincinnati. Yeah, in set pieces, oftentimes are the difference. It's amazing yeah. to think four of the five goals from LAFC originated off of set pieces. But Bawanga is fantastic. 30-some-odd goals in all competitions. He's just that kind of player that mm. immediately took off when he got to this league. But I still think they're vulnerable, Phil. Because for whatever reason, Vancouver in that first half, they look like... They could have scored two or three goals. They ended up scoring two. But you know what I'm saying? The midfield isn't as dominant as it was in the previous years. Agreed. Could they be caught by Seattle if you on the day? They could in a one-off game. And yep. I think it looks like they probably need to score more than maybe two goals or more to win games of football because you think they're probably going to uh, concede goals. And that's probably because lack of consistency in the, in, in the back four, et cetera, and the fact that they just flood men forward. Uh but I, I think with Boanga in particular, you've got someone that can score three goals in every game. And I, I'm a fullback. You know, I, I thought to myself the other day, how, how would I mark somebody like that? Well, his physique says that you probably can't be aggressive against him because he can compete. His speed means that you probably have to drop off. Can you show him? In, if you show him inside, he just rifles it into the top corner. Yep. He's, he's, he's probably the real deal. I, you know, you think to yourself, I thought, could he play European football, the top level? I think he's probably the type that could probably make the jump up to Champions League level. Agreed. And and that's a big statement, but I think he's that good in terms of his physique. He's just one of a top, top sort of like European world football, you know? Good challenge in from Vrioni, and now Bo could be in here. Cutting in, cutting out Gustavo Bo! A lifeline for New England. Signs of life for New England. They needed any kind of positivity, and they get it from Gustavo Bo, who's not got three goals in his last two against New England. Philadelphia 3, New England 1. I just don't know what to make of this New England team. It just doesn't look like the team that you faced early in the year, the team that Pat Noonan and I would talk about in the middle of June saying, they're going to give us a run for the money when it comes to Supporter Shield. There's many reasons to look at. Petrovic is gone. They had to sell him for that number. I get that uncertainty in how they're going to play, who fills in now that Petrovic is gone. What's very interesting to me is that New England on the road is exponentially a way different team than they are at home. If Carlos Ooh. Hill is healthy, I think this one's going to three games. Yeah, I, no, look, I agree. I think I think they're a different animal at home. 
You know what? I think a player that never gets mentioned has been a big loss for him is the fullback bye. Yeah. I, I think that's been a it's been a it's been a, a position that they've not been able to fill. Polster's been there, Spalding's been there. That's a great point. Uh, you know, and they're trying to find a system now to play without one fullback type thing. So I think that was a massive because they they just didn't have a replacement for him and it didn't allow them to play the diamond with both Jones and by bombing forward, which then created more space for Carlos Gills. So I always think that any team that has Carlos Gillian at home has a chance of winning Agreed. games of football. And when you've got Shanklai, Ball, yep. Wood, and, and those attacking players, you've got a chance. But for Philly, for me, are just grinders. Me they too. know how to win. They don't care how they win. They just find a way of winning. And I just feel as if with the situation at New England, the change, you know, the changes, yep. the disruption, it, it, it shouldn't be an excuse, but it's, it is an excuse in terms of footballers like consistency, footballers like the same messages, footballers like mm-hmm. to go with someone that they really trust and that they believe in. And, and that's why I think what New England lack at this moment in time, they lack a real leadership in terms of the position that's vital. Uh, and that's what Philadelphia have in their corner. Yeah, and I think it's important for the listeners to understand we are taping this with news that just came out, Kai Wagner Bobby Wood, there was a situation that happened. We don't know if Kai Wagner is going to be healthy. We don't know if he's going to be available. But I'm with Jim Curtin on this quote because I still believe they are the toughest out in the Eastern Conference. And he said post game, we can beat anybody. We're a tough out when this group plays elimination games, whether it's Champions League, Leagues Cup, whether it's the playoffs. You can't count on us laying an egg. We're going to show up no matter the kind of game. I still think they're the toughest out for Cincinnati and anyone in the East because of the way they lost MLS Cup last year, Phil. But more so, it's almost in their DNA that Jim Curtin plays into. The uglier the game, fine. The prettier the game, (laughs) fine. But I think they got a chip on their shoulder. We kind of messed up the League's Cup semifinal, and we should have won MLS Cup. I think they've got something to prove. I think they're the toughest out. No, look, I think an Eastern Conference team will win the whole thing and that's going to come from Cincinnati or Philadelphia Mm -hmm. because they're the two and I say that because in one-off games I think Jim Curtin has got a team that knows how to win one-off games they can win in any style they can win against any style they can they can they can not play well and win they can play well and win by lots of goals they can be dominated with possession and win by three goals so I'd say that that's you know and you think about Jim and Pat being manager and assistant in, you know, that cuts out the same cloth, uh, basically. So uh, Philadelphia are always tough to beat. And and that's why I, w- I never, ever, ever back against a Philadelphia team, even though they're going to two New England who are formidable at home. I just think that they that this one could be over in two games. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think Philadelphia thrives in these moments, backs against the wall, mm. no matter who's available. I think the most popular conversation right now is who's the team nobody's talking about that could win it I think it's Orlando City Cartagena he's got time and space so he hits it and he scores that is fantastic his coach calls him a game changer and that is a goal that can change everything in the playoffs before we came on, you were texting me saying Orlando City Nashville was one of your favorite games to watch. Yeah, why is that? Uh, because it felt like it felt like a do or die playoff game. Oscar is brilliant. You know, he sets his team up. They've got a little bit of that 
I'm going to say South American street fighting mentality of win at all cost. You know what I mean? And 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 I quite admire that. You know, if Felipe comes on at the end and man marks Mukhtar and tries to really rattle him. And uh, Orlando, I think, have got the momentum going into the the playoffs. I think uh, I thought it was a really good football game. I, I love I love Gary Smith and, and Nashville. I think the the game in Nashville will be it'll be a dogfight. I think, that, and that's why I like the game in Orlando. It was just it was almost like two heavyweight boxers just slinging punches and 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 just nobody was going to give in. Everyone was, and it was just a brilliant, you know, playoff game. And that was the one game I thought, that's a proper playoff yeah. game. Because it's just a street fight. And that's how I see the next round and batch of games. Well, it was such a balanced game, if you think about it. Because if Serge scores the goal that he should have scored of, then and then Cartagena scores this wonder goal, like you can... You can slice it one way or another. I think they're two contrasting styles. I think they're two managers that are stubborn in their own way, and I love that about them, and they'll go about it a certain way. But for Nashville, the last 10 games they've played, Phil, nine of those have been either draws or a game decided by one goal. They've only Mm. won two of those, and they've only scored three goals. Hani Mukhtar, in his last 17 appearances, has three goals. The problem for Nashville is this. They rely on Hani Mukhtar, and if he doesn't provide that moment of brilliance, they don't get it from somewhere else. They're going to have to get it from Surge and company. Otherwise, you cannot rely on Hani Mukhtar, even though he's top three best players in this league. You can't rely on that at all times because he has shown this year, after League's Cup, it's kind of been dead for him because everyone now knows, wait a minute, if you stop him, you stop Nashville. And and, and that's where he needs support. That's why Sam Surridge was brought into Nashville. Is to is to carry carry a little bit of the burden and and sort of like everyone relying on on Hani Mukhtar and you you look at the the chances in the game the other night Nashville had the better chances the clearer chances to score Agreed. goals Cartagena's goal was was probably one of the goal of the season contenders from a player that you couldn't see doing that you know what I mean yep. so I think I think it's time you invest a lot of money in these strikers and they've got to deliver I always think that the playoff time is where your DPS have to deliver. And it's where they have to show their quality. They have to lead the team. They have to carry the team. They have to deliver in those big moments. And, you know, and that's why I thought this, this, the centre-forward signing was a big signing for for Gary. He, he obviously had been looking for a long time for that player. The size of Surrey, mm-hmm. you know, everything about him, so he's a Gary Smith-type player. He just now needs the goal. Finding the right nine that complements Hani Mutar. Mm. They believe Sam Surge is going to be that guy. And oftentimes, a former teammate of yours, like Tim Cahill, it takes a yeah. while to get going. Sometimes it takes a player to adjust to the new lifestyle. But Hani Mutar Nashville needs Sam Surge now. And if they don't get it, they can grind out wins. But I think this series is an interesting one. And it wouldn't surprise me if the game two in Nashville goes to penalties. The one series yeah. that I believe was over before it started was Houston Real Salt Lake. Dorsey, quick to combine. Dorsey in the area. Back post, swatted away, out in front! Amin Bassi to the rescue! And the biggest reason why I believe that is Real Salt Lake, during League's Cup, looked like, "Uh uh-oh, this could be a team that could win the West. This could be a team that could turn it. Pablo Ruiz gets injured. They have fallen flat. They're missing key players. Pablo Mastrani hasn't had a full roster since that moment, is it more the Houston Dynamo and Ben Olsen or is it more Real Salt Lake 
not having a full complement of players in your opinion? Look, I think both. You know, at the start of the playoff, I thought who could who could the surprise team be? And I thought Houston. Me too. I, I, Me the too. three midfield players, I think they're the best three in terms of a partnership in the whole of the both leagues. The way that they play Herrera, Arter, and Carrasquilla, I think, has had a fantastic season. Because they've won the US Open Cup, they're almost playing a free hit. They, they, they look like they're just yep. the, they're the one team that I think yep. they just look like they're having fun here. There's no pressure on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, where RSL, I thought, invested really well, but the injuries, I think when you looked at their team and Pablo Ruiz got injured, you thought, okay, it's an injury. He's a good player, but the effect that that injury has had Amazing. on that team, you know, and you watch them a lot. And I think to myself, you don't realize the quality or the influence of one player until they're not in the team. And that's the influence of that player because why his range of pass, his composure on the ball, he, he's the one that knits everything together. And then Arango didn't play, obviously, in the game the other day. So I think injuries have caught up with them. And, and I see Houston probably going to RSL and winning in the second game. I understand all that. But the moment Pablo Ruiz left that lineup, Pablo Mastrani had to raise his hand and say, hold on a minute, this isn't my team. They have not been... Mm the same team, and that's a tip of the cap to Ruiz, more so because I think we all understated him, especially from my perspective, because I didn't see that. The game, the series, the team that I do not want to play right now in the Western Conference is the Seattle Sounders, and I'm going to tell you why. 43rd minute, Albert Rusnak! Paz got a piece of it, but not enough! The Sounders, who are so good when they take the lead, have taken the lead. One saddle, Albert Rusnak. They all know, Phil, this is it. It's over. Nico Ladero is going to be gone. Raul Rui Diaz is going to be gone. Stefan Fry hasn't had a new contract. I can't believe he's not up for goalkeeper of the year conversation with 14 shutouts. The point being, you've been on these teams. You've been in these organizations as a player where you look around, you know exactly who you are, what you're going to get, but they've almost pushed the last button, Schmetzer, Craig Weibel, of saying, I'm sorry, guys, this is it. This is your team. Make it of what you want to do with it. They look like they're a team destined to get to the Western Conference Final. They're the second seed. LAFC, if they get through, they're going to have to play there. Phil, I don't know if I want to play Seattle because this is their last swan song together as a group. No, no honestly, I, I never forget Gonzalo Higuain came into my office three months before the end of the season and he was out the team and and he and he said, look, I'm finishing at the end of the season. And I said, okay. I said, so how are you going to approach it? And he was, I said, if I said, if I was you, I'd fucking go for it. I'd go for it. Finish on a high, go out as a winner, go out with the best image of what people could think of you. And he single-handedly took us into the playoffs. Now, for those Seattle players that you just mentioned, they're legends of that football club that have been there and done it and bought the T-shirt. And they've probably said, right, guys, it is it is the end. It probably, both sides have probably agreed. There's probably no animosity there because, it, you know, time, time, you know, comes to an halt for all of us. And they probably said, right. And that hunger, that winner inside of them, like, like the Gonzalo winner came out inside him, he, he lost it, you know, before that... It, it, it was gone. It was drained. It was deep inside of him. Then all of a sudden, the winner inside comes out. And that's what Seattle have got. The winner inside, they know how to win. They know what it takes to win. And it's almost like their last dance together it as is. a team. And I feel as if they're they're a dangerous team against Dallas to the day. You look, I thought Ferreira should have had a couple of goals early on and it could, but 
I just think that Seattle have got something that will take them a long way and deep into the playoffs. The next game against LAFC, if they both get through, I think that will be an absolute game changer to watch. I agree. Ladero coming off the bench, the way you talked about Higuain, that's as dangerous as any player as possible because he came off the bench the other night. Yeah. And he looked three years younger. He looked like he still wanted to prove something, that Seattle's wrong, not giving him a new deal. They've tapped into that. Schmetzer does a very, very good job of emotionally connecting to the players at the right moments, at the right times. Ladero looks like a force that you don't... Now, Rui Diaz, we don't know how healthy he is, but even that coming off the bench, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to have to deal with that. They're one of the best defenses in the league, but if Jesus Ferreira scores those two goals, it's completely different. (laughs) Three goals in his last 15 games. I think if I'm Nico Estevez and I'm looking at that, I'm showing the tape this week saying... Guys, we were okay. We were on the road. We were on yeah, yeah. turf. And not really blame it on Hazers, but say, if we get those same chances here at home, we're going to go back to Seattle for game three. No, and, and that's what I'd be thinking. I'd be saying, look, we, we could have been two up in the game. The last goal goes off with a contusion. So that, that's one of our creative player goes off. Was it a penalty? It, it was soft. I think Agreed. I think he bought it a little bit. So, so after the game, I think Dallas would be thinking, you know what? Get, get us back to Dallas, get all our big guns out there. Let's be more ruthless in, in what we do. But I just don't see past Seattle over the three games, you know? And, and it'd be interesting, the second game mentality for the teams that have won when they go away. My my attitude would be, let's get it over and done with in two games. Let's get it over and done with. Let's get a little bit more time to recover. Three games in the playoffs in one week it is going to take a lot out of teams. So those that only play two games are going to have a massive advantage after that. I think you know? that's going to be the most exciting part of the second matches in these series is I think the teams that are up a game are going to be way more ruthless and aggressive versus trying to be reserved because they know they're kind of playing with house money. They're going to go home yeah. if they lose. There's no real pressure to that. I I, I just think on the road, there's no pressure already And so it becomes almost easier in the second leg of doing that. Before I let you go, Phil, Columbus, Atlanta. I think you and I, as soccer purists, the listeners, probably the most intriguing one tactically, aesthetically. There's no Tiago Amada in game one. I understand that. You like Columbus. I love Columbus, but I think they're soft. And the reason why I think they're soft is this, and I'm going to ruffle some real good feathers here. The weather's old, it's ugly, it's cold. <laughs> are they still going to be that team? And I hope they are because I love Will for Nancy. Expansive rotations, using the ball. Can they win an ugly game? Can they win a game where the weather's ugly, the game's ugly, and win 1-0? I don't think the answer to that is yes. Uh, look, I don't think they want to win a game 1-0. I think Wilfred doesn't want to win an ugly game. He wants to win it beautifully. What I would say about this game is both teams will win their home games, which means it's a three-game series. I, th- I think Columbus being at, Columbus are at home first, yes. right? Yep. Yeah. yep. I think Columbus at home, they've got an incredible record at home. I think there was only one team that beat them this year at home once, and I bet you couldn't tell me who that was. Uh, <laughs> and it was ugly, let me tell you. <laughs> and then I think Atlanta at home, I think they're just home types yep. of players yep. and, and styles, and I think this is a three-game series where coming out of this series could be a, could have a massive effect on both teams in terms of energy, that the effort that it'll take to... For these two teams to win will be huge. Unless Columbus can go away to Atlanta and win in two, 
but I just see three home wins uh, for this series. I do too. I, I go back to that last regular season game or second to last. Columbus went to Atlanta. They played the same way they always do. It needed Miles Robinson to score a tying goal in extra time. Yeah. You're right, but Thiago Amada not being there in the first one, then being there in the second match, Phil, that throws the X factor. I agree with you. I think this goes to three. But it's a game yeah. where both teams kind of believe in what they're doing, but Columbus is stubborn. They're aggressive. They're going to go for it. They want right. to put on a show. And in the playoffs, soft is the wrong word, but are they chiseled enough? Are they hard enough to say, you know what? Right. We can't overlap. We can't overload down the left. Let's play direct to Cucho. Let's try to... I don't know that answer. That's why I'm intrigued no, by it. I kind of love it. They're, they're not going to sit back in as a back four and say, right, you forwards go and win us again. I think Wilfred has nailed his philosophy to the mast. You know what I mean? And and I think Gonzalo has done the same. I think they're both similar type coaches that that are really, really stubborn in their styles. And I say stubborn in a, in a, in a real complimentary way, uh, you know, in terms of the style of football that they want to play. I, I would have loved Almada to play in the first game. I think Me that it could have Me just too. been an incredible. But but like I say, he's going to be back for the second game, and uh, it's, this is going to be the problem with the game. That I'll probably definitely watch all three games throughout the whole ninety minutes from a from a tactical point of view. You brought in Joseph Martinez from Atlanta, and the guy that replaced him, Yako yeah. Makis, is a real center forward. He's not scared to be brash. He's not scared to be bold. No. There's a chip on the shoulder. There's a showmanship to him. He's really different. I love Cucho. I think Cucho's the most modern number nine in this league. I think there's a real good argument to that. But Yako Makis is an old-fashioned killer. He's a villain. It wouldn't surprise me on the yeah. road if he scores a goal or two, and then all of a sudden everybody's looking around and saying, wait a minute, they may have. Yako Makis is the X factor for me. He's a bit Drogba-like where just give me Agreed. any ball, I'll win. I'll turn a... 60-40 ball into my ball type thing. And and he's got that ruthlessness and that killer instinct that probably Gary Smith's looking yeah, at for Sam Surridge at, at Nashville. You know, similar similar type profiles. Yeah, you, know? you can't teach that. That's a difficult one. Either you no. have it or you no, no, don't. No. And Yakum yeah. has it for sure. Before I let you go, buddy, um, I was doing a little research. I've known you for a little bit now. Can you explain Neville Neville to me? Yeah. You talk about stubbornness. My my grandma did my grandma, she lose a bet who, who to name her son Neville Neville? No, she didn't. She obviously she was in the hospital. She delivered my father, and uh, <laughs> and for twenty four hours she was recovering. So she didn't she didn't name my 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 dad, and and they had a little tag on his wrist, and it said Baby Neville, and and my nan is the most stubborn woman in the whole wide world. She this nurse came in and said. Mrs. Neville, you know, you, you've got to name your child. You can't name it Baby Neville. She went, that's the name of the child. And the, the thing is, is that he hated the name, but it be, it became, you know, my United fans sing his name about me and Gary, and, and it became part of jokes like this throughout our lives. And uh, But he, he, I remember when me and my brother and my sister, me and my brother in particular, were having children, he said, if you name your child Neville, I will never speak to you ever again. And then you responded to him and said, uh, what about Philip Philip? Yeah. <laughs> Taylor Taylor, you know. Honestly, I love your grandma more because you know me well enough now. Anything out of spite. Yeah. Anything out of spite, yeah. you go up. There's a level in my book, you go up to the top level if you do it out of spite. That that's what she, and she you know still 
until God the day she her. died. She never regretted it. She, she thought it was, no, no, it's my choice. Nobody's telling me what to do. And that's, I actually love that about her. My, my brother's got that in his blood a little bit. You know, he took that side of her a little bit, the stubbornness, where I would be like, you're right. No, I'll, I'll Andrew or William <laughs> would probably be a better name, you know? <laughs> oh. Buddy, I appreciate you taking the time. I love talking shop with you. Thanks, I love you giving it. I have a sneaky suspicion this may be the last time until you're named a new coach of a new team in Major League Soccer. But until then, uh, keep me on speed dial, will you, Neville Neville? Thank you. Thank you very much. And, and keep up the training. You know, you, you, you're putting a bit of weight on there, aren't you? 2009. You're yep, 2009. Go. Last time I trained. <laughs> See you, Thanks, Bill. TT. Thanks for listening. There was a ton to unpack there. I think Phil Neville did a real good job of helping us through that. Remember, the only place to watch MLS Cup in the entire playoffs from round one to the final is MLS Season Pass on Apple TV. We'll be back next week with more playoff talk, more guests. And until then, Offside with Taylor Twelman is a Major League Soccer podcast produced by Apple TV and Rain Delay Media. Our executive producers are Peter Moses and John Yales. John was our editor. Michael Janot was our engineer. Jonah Buchanan was our associate producer. Iggy Monda and Jonah were our researchers. Music was composed by Brian Decker, and I'm your host, Taylor Twalman. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts.